What are you doing here, nigga? I'm not gonna ask you again. Young man, I've had a long day. I'm tired. I'm not tired enough to ever let nobody call me that word. You see a nigga standing in front of you? Across the street from a building named after one of our greatest heroes? Yeah, a dead one. You even know who Crispus Attucks was. A free black man. The first man to die for what became America. He could have acted scared when those Brits raised their guns. Blended in in the crowd. But he stepped up. He paid with his life. But he started something. That's what Pop did. Not me. I laid in the cut until he stepped up. And it cost him his life too. I ain't laying back no more. You wanna shoot me? Do it. Pull the trigger, nigga. I shot all night. Do it. What? You scared? To another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. with the intro, but we got through it anyway. That was Luke Cage himself. We're going to talk about that as well as a gentleman stopping by uh, all the way from Spain, God willing, if you believe in the theory. The gentleman's name is Pablo Dura. Mr. Dura has a Kickstarter campaign that appears to be quite successful regarding a graphic novel called The Lincoln Brigade. And it's talking about, or not talking about, but it's actually depicting uh, American involvement in the Spanish Civil War, uh, and I think specifically he's zeroing in on African-American soldiers that volunteered uh, for this conflict that was between 1936 and 1939. So 
I'm fascinated by history. I'm fascinated by this gentleman who who is focusing on this particular story, so there'll be a lot to discuss. And again, hopefully everything goes through without a hitch. You know our infamous international guests. Anyway, folks, this is the Grindhouse edition of the show. We have, of course, our left coast correspondent, Claire Linnae, the uncanny Daryl B., her, her doppelganger, Captain Kirk, and yours truly, B-Bird, a.k.a. the Afro Nerd. Uh, let's get into a quick groove. We're going to play some music from the, as the soundtrack from the Luke Cage Netflix series and other herb alt, black rock, Afro punk grooves. This song is not from Luke Cage, but it could have been. This is Chet Faker. How am I just discovering this jam? Chet Faker live doing his rendition of No Diggity. We'll be right back. I want to feel the heat with somebody. Yeah, I want to dance with somebody. With somebody who loves me. Alexa, play Whitney Houston. Okay. Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Let's groove. Dora up next. Act wild, 
folks, <laughs> I hated to extricate myself from that groove, but it is what it is. That's Chet Faker, no diggity. I might dig that better than the original. God forbid, if you believe in the theory. Anyway, folks, this is the Grindhouse edition of Afternoon featuring Captain Kirk, Clay Lene, yours truly, and of course, the uncanny Daryl B. Um, let's just get to it. Then you need it on the holodeck again. Let's get to it. Captain Marvel. I mean Shazam. I mean Cap. Oh, wrong hero. I'm sorry. Sorry. Let's go. <laughs> it's gonna be one of those days. <laughs> All right, this gentleman. I'm going to give him his introduction because oftentimes he does not need one. But today, because it's Luke Cage Day, he 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 needs to get an introduction. He is Clelinay's doppelganger, if you haven't guessed it. This is the uncanny, the uncanny Daryl B. I play my enemies like a game of chess. The untold hero of Luke Cage, Bobby Fish. I see you were looking at it, sir. Did you just look at all 13 episodes? Be honest. Twi- I've been through it twice already, man. Uh. <laughs> hey, hey, if you've followed my Twitter feed, you've seen I've gotten into it, people, people, but I haven't spoiled. See, I know how to do it without spoiling, but we'll get into that later. Yes, yes. I looked at it once, uh, the 13. I got through all 13, but um, I'm going to have to revisit it, sir, obviously. Some stuff I'm missing. It is what it is, but uh, we do have our own personal Wonder Woman from the left coast flying in on her invisible plane, doing her thing. (laughs) This is our left coast correspondent, Ms. Claire Linnae. Claire. <laughs> Too bad that you can't see me because I am grooving. We'll, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. How are you, girl? How are you? Um, I'm doing okay. I'm doing she okay. She survived the birthday. Awesome. I did. Very good. Man, it's Very been a good. long week. Yes, it has. Oh, man. And next week is New York Comic Con. So, <sighs> Daryl, will we have enough energy? You know, we barely survived Afropunk. And we're already in the fix of it again. Oh, energy? Oh, oh after, after, after what we're going to get into, if, if you're not energized by this, hey, hey, Iron Fist, pressure on you now. If, if, if you're not energized by this, then you're not alive. I see Mr. Dura is trying to call in. Uh, let me see. Hold on. Uh, Here we go. This is. Why, why can't he call in Skype? I think can, can't you call in call in the number, the regular number through Skype, Daryl? It should be. You should be. I think he, I think he can call in using the regular number. I don't think you have to, because we've we've had Skype callers before. Because uh, when I use Skype, it's kind of screwy. Let me see if I can, um, uh, you know what, live on air. I mean, he sent he sent a message here. Let me see if he can use, let me see if he can call in live, folks. My apologies. Okay, I sent him the number, but I don't know if he's, 
There's got to be a way to call in. <laughs> it, it should be a uh, – I hate when these things happen, folks. If Mr. Dora can't call in, then we're going to have to figure it out afterwards. Um, Claire, I may have to pass the mic to you now because we were planning to have your weekly roundup um, you know, after Mr. Dora's appearance, but now we're, we're having these difficulties. So uh, the show must go on while I'm doing my thing. Trying to get this work this, this gentleman out with uh, our show. So can you go to your weekly roundup while I try to save face? Absolutely, absolutely. You go figure that out. I'll get uh, I'll get this going here. Okay. So uh, Iron Fist writer Tamara Betcher also is working on Marvel's Runaways TV show, which will be on Hulu. UFC fighter Tyron Woodley is no longer working on Spider-Man Homecoming. Amandla Stenberg is to star in Fox's young adult adaptation of Darkest Minds. Um, Kung Fu Panda's Jennifer Yu Nelson will be directing. Ghost Rider's debut has given Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a massive DVR ratings spike. After successfully updating The Jungle Book, John Favreau is now set to direct a live-action remake of The Lion King. So Luke Cage was meant to debut after Iron Fist, but was moved ahead because of audience response uh, and Jessica Jones. Stan Lee was recently honored at Los Angeles City Hall, where it was decreed that October 28th will be declared Stan Lee Day to coincide with his annual Kamikaze Expo at the L.A. Convention Center. Black Panther has cast person of interest actor Winston Duke to play T'Challa's rival M'Baku. Star Trek Beyond director Justin Lin is going to take on a Hot Wheels movie based on the popular car toy line from Mattel. Lance Henriksen confirms that Obsidian is Green Lantern's son on Legends of Tomorrow. Samuel L. Jackson has confirmed that Nick Fury will return in Infinity War as well as Avengers 4. Benedict Cumberbatch reveals that Doctor Strange will also be in Infinity War and has even hinted that Doctor Strange might even show up in Thor Ragnarok. In response to the lack of diversity in Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children as well as his other films, Tim Burton basically says, stories either call for it or they don't. As of today, October 1st, all 10 seasons of Smallville are now available on Hulu, just in time for the pilot's 15th anniversary. New York Mayor's Office uh, launches a five-program system in order to combat gender inequality in the entertainment industry. In the upcoming sci-fi indie, Crossbreed, Vivica A. Fox will be the first black woman to play the President of the United States in a live-action feature film. The Italian Job TV remake is in the works at NBC. Stars can make more money doing fan conventions than their TV gigs. In fact, Arrow's Stephen Amell has opened up his own agency solely focused on celebrity appearances to cash in on the booming demand. It's a really interesting article from The Hollywood Reporter. It's on my Twitter feed. Be sure to check it out. In what seems to be stating the obvious, 
DC Rebirth writer Greg Rucka announced that Wonder Woman has had previous relationships with women. Now, we've talked about this on the show before. I mean, the real question is, will this be addressed in the movie, or will she somehow not even know what sex or romantic love is, let alone not know what a man is, until Steve Trevor comes along? Susanna Thompson will be in the 100th episode of Arrow as Moira Queen. The easy assumption is that it would be some sort of flashback, but it's more fun to think that maybe these previously killed-off characters are going to be popping up because of some sort of crossover, alternate timeline created in the upcoming Flashpoint story arc. Luke Cage star Simone Missick confirms that Misty Knight will be in The Defenders. Also wanted to add that John Bernthal is also listed on the Defenders IMDb page, of course, as Punisher. House of Cards actress Molly Parker has been cast as Maureen Robinson in Netflix's Lost in Space reboot. Guillermo del Toro's The Strain has been renewed for a fourth and final season on FX. Nightwatch has been rumored to be another character that might be in Spider-Man Homecoming. Mark Miller wants John Cena to play leading man in the film adaptation of his comic, Superior. DC animated films, Batman Return of the Caped Crusaders and Justice League Dark will take stage at the New York Comic Con next week. Well, that's all for my weekly roundup. Back to you. All right, Claire. Uh, as always, doing a stupendous job. Folks, if you haven't guessed it, this is the Grindhouse edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk and our own personal Next Men, which is a John Byrne reference. Not the X-Men, but the Next Men. But you you, you couldn't uh, tell the difference, Daryl, I think, on that one. I think the Next Next Men was definitely his way of... I don't, what, what was the purpose of the Next Men, actually, Daryl? <laughs> Wasn't that his, his kind of, you know... Hey, X Men, X Men ripoff or homage, homage, homage. Well, however you want to say it, it was very, very close. Let's put it that way. Yes, again, folks. Uh, Mr. Dora is kind of sorta of in the background, but um, these these Skype calls, you know, and Block Talk does allow for that for that ability, but um, you know, it's still a working work in progress. We had to deal with, deal with that. From the folks from Vortex, a few, well, a few, I think last month, a month and a half ago. So uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. I'm communicating with them through Twitter, but unfortunately, I, I definitely wanted to. Oh wait a minute, nope. <laughs> this is our, our stalwart supporter, Q Storm, I believe. But um, I was really hoping for Mr. Dora to come through. Um, either way, before that campaign is over, <laughs> we will get him on the show. We struggled through Vortex. Uh, so we will struggle through this this issue. We're not going to le- let the the distance keep us from hearing about his his comic and also helping him with this campaign. And definitely, again, go to Pablo Dura, input Pablo Dura at Kickstarter and the Lincoln Brigade, the Lincoln Brigade, to to contribute for this particular comic. Anyway, let's just get into it. Um, the show must go on. I'm going to defer to the uncanny, and then we'll pass the mic around. Uh, we finally made it, and uh, I've, I've had my, my virtual crack, which took about 
literally a day to get through 13 episodes of Cheo, Cheo Coker, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, um, the showrunner for Luke Cage, Netflix's Luke Cage. So, Daryl, run us through what you're thinking about this thing. What are your, your first impressions? Just tell us what do you, what do you think about the, the series. Uh, well, firstly, if, if we're going to, uh, what do we say? There's been four so far, right? The two seasons of Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and now Luke Cage. I really love Daredevil uh, season two. All right, I really have that uh, that as my number one. Luke Cage for me goes above Jessica Jones <laughs> into the number two slot. All right, then comes Jessica. Then comes Daredevil season one, which is not to put down season one. It's just each one of these shows has has improved upon it. Um, I and again I put it high just like for women with Jessica Jones they saw facets of women and females that they never saw in other forms of TV for me as a black male I saw depth depthness and nuance to each one of these characters that was in this I and that's not to slight the females yet because I'm about to get to that in a second but from the henchman to Luke himself to his supporting cast, you had strong black males not afraid to show emotion, not afraid to show that there was facets to their depth, not, af- uh, not afraid to show that, uh, oh, we ain't cookie cutter, we ain't stereotype. All right? The people I've seen criticize this show just don't get that. I've watched years. I'm going on, I'm going, um, this is my 40th year work walking the earth. I have yet to see a show that had so many black males that would, did not immediately go to the stereotype. This did. All right? This avoided, uh, I mean, it's very easy to slip into stereotypes, whether it be to bad guy, whether it be to, to Luke Cage. It would be very easy to do that. Coker avoided that. <laughs> A henchman talking back to, to Cottonmouth. Sorry for using Cottonmouth, Mr. Stokes. Either way, talking back to him, reciting political science and philosophy saying maybe we should avoid Luke Cage, you know, let him have his side, we have our side, and he's quoting, like, political science. That scene, I felt like Venture Brothers, you know, where, where oh, my God, this henchman got depth. Look at this. This is, this is a beautiful thing, you know. But now I'm going to go back to the women's stuff. You know what? Just like how I just said about the black males, black females, females of color in this, oh, my God. Like, usually when you see a show for black females, all right, oh, there's a bunch of motion. Oh, this one is sleeping with this one. This one is sleeping with that one. It does not provide you in the strongest or best light, black females. I'll say that as candidly, all right? Where, to me, 
it, it just never went there. This, oh my God, this this show says Luke Cage, but I think for black feminists, they will wave this show like a flag, saying, "See, we can be more." <laughs> Alfre Wooder is a national treasure now. She's always been, but I think this opened people's eyes that never recognized her that, uh, 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 for playing a strong character. Simone Missick as Misty Knight? Holy. Wow. Just wow. I, You know, the, the, uh, even, and I, I, I'm going to try to do it without spoilers, even later on, in 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 the show, all right. You'll see where there's black teenage females and stuff like that, where you could slip into a stereotype easy. Coca managed to avoid it, and managed to give that depth. And my culture is Luke Cage. Um, I, I I saw the New York Times review. I've commented about the New York Times review. If you got me on Twitter, you know my feelings about that New York Times review. That the New York Times could take that review, ball it up, and we mentioned The Rock before. You know what The Rock's famous saying is. Because obviously that reviewer didn't make it past show one. Because what this, what Luke Cage essentially showed was a being of extraordinary power grow into being a hero. That's what this was. This, this series was the journey of a hero. Not born hero, but made into a hero. There's so much we could go on here. I could keep on going. But, yo, it, it, this is the show every black male, every black female... Every person of color has been waiting on. And like I said in, on my jump, all right, Netflix, you saw what Mr. Coca did here? When we get Iron Fist, you better avoid those stereotypes. Because, oh, my God, we can be more. We can be better. This was better. This is a must-watch. Back to you, AfroNerd. All right, uh... Passing it around, uh, I think this gentleman could probably be um, Mike Coulter's stand-in. Uh, Captain, <laughs> what were your impressions of Luke Cage's Netflix series? I'm not tall enough. I'm not 6'3". So, first of all, <laughs> let, let, let's, let's – let's, and also, let's go Plantation Olympus because that's where I'm going to go with. No, I'm not, not also dark enough. Let's not go there. Let's not go Please, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so look, I think Houston's now, listening. No, now this has this has to be addressed. You probably now. agree with you, be, but go ahead, go ahead. Hold on, <laughs> this has to be addressed now. All right, now I have to address in this context. All right, so since the black man be a butt always hurts, I'm gonna do like this and balance it out for you. Whitey, 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 nigga, 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 nigga. Whitey, 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 nigga, nigga, nigga. Because nigga was said in the show. So let's get into it. Let's explain this. All right, for all of you proper Negroes out there. All right? So let's explain this. <laughs> All right? <laughs> let me, no, let me, let, me, let me go now. You have the exception, and then you have rules. So let's talk about everyone's 
let's talk about jobs. All right, let's talk about jobs. You hear about jobs or corporations. They might say, well, to work in this area in our building, everybody in here has to have a bachelor's or better. Or sometimes they'll tell you, well, you have to, if you don't have a bachelor's or better, you have to have at least four years experience in this field somehow, some way. Right? So 99% of the people that's in there, that's going to be the condition. Then some person somehow, they managed to work in that area within that building somehow, some way, with none of those qualifications. And the rest of the people say, well, that's not fair. You know, what Captain says, fairness is the illusion of the weak to protect you from the strong to no avail. Yeah, this one person, sometimes two people. The other 30 people had to come underneath these qualifications. For some reason or the other, they bent the rules for this person. Maybe they're very talented. Maybe they know somebody, whatever, whatever. But the rule is, 99% of the time, in this area, in this building, you're going to need a bachelor's degree or better or a certain amount of work experience in the different areas on that side of the building. Rule versus exception. Now, let me tell you something about myself. Now, recently, and I don't do this. Afro-nerd knows pretty much how I carry it in respect to this. There was a person, he's 40 years of age. I've known him for a very long time. Pat's still sagging off his ASS. He got like 13 tattoos. I recently hooked this person up with a job. Now, most people that know me, they would say, Kirk, you're going against your diktat. You don't do that. That's hypocritical. I bent the rules because this person is very good with their hands and they get to where they're getting to on time. The person I hooked them up with called me not too long ago and said, this guy does not stop. He comes on time, and he's just boom, boom, boom. He's always looking to do other work. And he doesn't know that he's good with his hands because the job requires him to just do heavy lifting and move a couple of vehicles. He had a driver's license. Some of you MFs out there don't have a driver's license. Get out of here. Anyway, so that's why I did it. But the rule is with Kirk, if you're 40 years of age and your pants are sagging off your ASS and you got nine tattoos, I'm not, I, I don't act like I don't know you. That's the rule. Now, spoiler alert, slight spoiler. I have to give you a slight spoiler to make my point in reference to Luke Cage. Within this Luke Cage mythos, the way it's portrayed here on Netflix, he's not a cursor and he doesn't use the word nigger. But there was a situation where he had to put someone on blast and Afroner used it in the beginning of the intro to explain the significance of nigger. So as I say, you have the rule and you have the exception. You nigga, 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 whitey, whitey, whitey. Balance it out. Because you black people, your butt always hurts. So I threw the whitey, whitey in there. Now, back to this now. Back to the show. <laughs> Go ahead. Back to the show now. This is not a surface detail show. What do I mean like that? What do I mean by that? Daredevil, which I actually do like a little bit better, season two, is surface detail. Surface detail comes from, you know, when you're dealing with black holes, informational spaces left on the surface, mini black holes and all sorts of types. So I won't get into all of that, but that's what I'm dealing with. Surface detail. It's surface. You get what I mean by that. It's not surface detail, meaning which there's a lot of jewels in this show. The way it's written that you can miss. 
And also, if you're a young person, if you're about 23 years of age, you might miss something when they say Chico and the man. What does that mean to you? That don't, you, don't, you, miss, you don't know about that. You, you don't know what he's talking about. You understand? Certain music in the show, you don't know what they're talking about. Certain things in black history, you will not know what, you're talk, what they're talking about. It's not surface detail. You have to, it goes in a bit. There's a lot of references there. Back and forth, back and forth. Certain boulevards, you might not know anything about. You know, certain things you don't know. If you're about 23, 25, 26, 27, this is a 37 and up, really, from the writing standpoint, to tell you the truth. That's what I really like about it. I said, oh, let's see what's going on there. Look at that. And they link this with that without revealing too much. You'll see as you watch it. So it's very, very, very well written. Daredevil, a lot more action, and any dummy can follow Daredevil. You can't be really a dummy and really follow what's going on here. You have to be somewhat learned in respect to the things that they're talking about in this show. So, so it pulls a little bit from you. That's what I do definitely like about it. Definitely like about it. So, to make a sports reference, Daryl Beal enjoyed this. Marvel is showing right now that they're just not a bunch of dunkers. They can hit you with the three-point. They can give you a hook shot. You understand? They got fast break. They could do it all. They got it locked all down. They got a full-rounded game right now, based on the writing right now. I have to give them props for this, Luke Cage situation. Very well done from the writing perspective. One thing, though, you need to gain about 20 pounds, though. You know, this is just about 20 pounds, you know, just to sell it just a little bit more. But he's good to go. It's good to go. It's very well done. Back over to you, Afro Nerd. Uh, let's pass the mic to our left coast correspondent. I know she's very busy, but I'm hoping she might have seen an episode or two. Uh, did you? Did you have to check out Luke Cage? Claire. I don't, we don't want to spoil um, it for you. Well, you know what? <laughs> because I uh, chose to watch the first episode instead of, you know, doing the smart thing, like you know, getting more sleep, uh, I did see the very first one uh, this morning, thankfully, because later later on uh, Netflix crashed. The server crashed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did catch the first episode. I, it's, it's, it's hard to, to say too much because I, I obviously need to see more of it. I need more information. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting. I'm very, very much engaged. I feel that you know, based on everything that has led up to this point in terms of um, all the meticulous detail and preparation that went in, you know, the soundtrack and musical score and, and every, you know, just all, all the, the stuff that they've been promoting, it falls in line with what I had envisioned or what I had expected that is to say that it's not subtle. <laughs> I, and I don't mean that positive or negative. Like I said, I, I need more information. I have to watch more episodes. I have to see it all the way through. Because unlike 
network television, Netflix is structured to be binged. It's structured to be a sequence of, you know, vignettes of of all these, you know, these these 13 pieces are meant to be one long movie. So, I'm, that's why I don't want people to think that I'm I'm formulating an opinion, you know, too strongly just yet. But I'm just I'm just noticing stylistically there are some very strong choices um on the part of the 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 creator of the show, you know, Cheo Hodari Coker. He um he definitely he has he has definitely prioritized making the music and making you know Harlem, you know New York, making everyone their own individual voice, which is different. I mean, you gotta admit that is not something that we've seen in Daredevil or Jessica Jones, because in Daredevil and Jessica Jones. You know, the focus is pretty singular. The focus is usually wrapped around Matt Murdock or or Jessica Jones or, you know, whoever they happen to be talking to at that moment, whether it be Kilgrave or Punisher or Electra, whatnot. In this instance, first episode going in, you... And again, I don't want this to make it seem like I'm, I'm... I'm leaning towards whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, straight out of the gate, I'm not seeing Luke Cage as the hero. Straight out of the gate, honestly, I don't even see him as the the, uh, primary focus of the story, which is not a bad thing. I I keep having to reiterate that. Because so many of these other characters are engaging, uh, charismatic, powerful. You know, I, I'm obviously a fan of Alfre Woodard. Who isn't a fan of Alfre Woodard? I was really intrigued by the scenes between between the uh, the councilwoman and uh, you know Mr. Stokes. Apparently it's like this rule. We're not allowed to call them. <laughs> we're not allowed to call them kingpin or cotton mouth. Right. We gotta, you know, <laughs> we gotta call them by their their actual names. But you know, ever since I saw Mahershala Ali in House of Cards, you know, you if any of you have seen his work and how he'll go toe to toe up against Kevin Spacey, you know this guy has got chops. You know this guy was going somewhere. So I'm I love those scenes. Um I love the fact that, you know, nobody in in the, the none of the leading characters, the core the core cast, none of them are one note. None of them, as you say, my doppelganger, none of them fall into the traps of writing, you know, stereotypical black men and black women. So I can appreciate that greatly because they're all capable of doing something good or bad. It's just it's just the the choices that they make or don't make, you know, as we see initially. You know, there's that there's that hesitation 
in Luke to to take action, you know, to to be a, a vigilante, to jump right in and try to, you know, clean up the streets or do the right thing. Whereas Daredevil, that's like literally what he does, you know, as we meet him. So, in terms of stereotypes, though, I I gotta point this out. I gotta point this out. I realize that there's so much more for me to see. I still have another what, twelve hours. <laughs> I still have another twelve hours to go. But let's just be honest. When it comes to any TV show, any movie, any story, black, white. Asian, if there are ever any, but I'm just saying, whatever, what what have you, there are going to be, let's call them expendable characters, characters whose purpose in the series, in a show, in an episode, in the overall arc, their whole purpose is to die, because that is the incendiary, you know, device, plot device. That is the thing that pushes the story forward. That's the thing that launches us into the next chapter or, you know, changes the way somebody feels about how, you know, the situation is going, whatever. But let's just be real. They are expendable characters. And in the very first episode, okay, it was pretty pretty, uh, predictable. It was very predictable you know, which which character was going to be expendable. Which person, dare I say, dare I say, did fall into the traps of a stereotypical young black thug. Dare I say, whose sole purpose in the story is to F up and die. Okay, so let's Let's just acknowledge that, okay? Am I surprised? Am I shocked? Am I annoyed by this? No, not not particularly, because like I said, every TV show, every movie is going to have characters like this. That's that's the whole point, so that the, the lead characters can do their thing and really shine and make decisions and, and start, you know, being the hero or truly being the villain, whatever. But I just, I just want to point that out because while, while you know, Luke and uh, Misty Knight and Stokes and the Councilwoman, I mean, while our core cast are undoubtedly going to show us a variety, a range of emotions, you know, strength, you know, badassery, intelligence, vulnerability, you know, loneliness, uh, longing, you know, the the need to to set things right or the need to stay in power, what have what I mean, all of it. All of it. They they definitely get to have that and be that, which is beautiful. But I just I just want to be clear that it's not as if the show is completely exempt from let's just say showing examples of I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna touch the uh the N word 
or what that means to to people because I wouldn't do that. I how can I speak upon something like that when I just is not quite in line with any of my personal experiences. So I'm not going to touch that. I'm not going to touch that. I'm just going to say that behaviorally I that is something I wanted to, to mention. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you think I'm wrong, but that's something I noticed in the first episode. And it's not the end of the world. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more of the show. I mean, the show stylistically is very different, and I that's exciting to me. I want to see something else. I want to see something different. I didn't expect that there would be as much action. I didn't expect it to be as gritty and dark as Jessica Jones or you know I I don't know we'll uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes but it, as of right now I'm I'm very curious I'm very engaged you know we'll we'll, we'll see we'll see uh there's a lot of derogatory maybe, blacks in this in this series <laughs> <laughs> to put it simple all right, let, all right? <laughs> before before I, before I even get into my into my mix on this um, I see that our friend from the uh, the tri-state, not the DMV, but our own tri-state, uh, QStorm from the podcastjuice.net podcast, definitely check them out. Um, I'm curious to see what they say about Luke Cage also. But we can get, I guess, a, a prequel with this gentleman. Let me bring him in. Uh, we had a Twitter discussion about Empire versus Luke Cage. I think there's no comparison between Empire and, and Luke Cage, but... I'm pretty sure he will enlighten me with his viewpoint. Q, what's up? Hey, sir. How, hey, how what's you doing? going on? Pretty good. Um, I uh, think you might have a similar um, perspective with what Claire has just said. Um, but what 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 would you like to say about Luke Cage? And um, maybe you might want to clarify your your feelings on the Empire, or, or rather, as you say, my wavering or moving the goalpost. <laughs> Well, I don't feel like we need to relitigate that. Uh, just put it this way. I feel like if Empire, now I know Empire is a network show. Let's put that aside. It's not about standards and practices as far as I'm concerned. It's about what is plausible and what could people, what are people willing to suspend their disbelief over. And I just feel that if we don't want to, hear the N-word on Empire, I don't think I'm on the line saying I don't really want to hear it uh, on um, on this show. <clears throat> but um, that, that's basically where I align with that. Uh, in regards to a, a quick review of the show, I'm going to give you the positives first. I think it looks amazing. I think it looks unbelievable. Uh, the cinematography is beautiful. The color palette is beautiful. Uh, I don't know how they how they time the, the dailies on this, but it looks great. Uh, I think I posted up on the second episode. It's like they they went to a time machine and pulled Spike Lee from 1989 to the present to direct that second episode because it was tons of uh, imagery that harkened back to do the right thing or to early 90s Spike Lee. Um, I love the second thing is I love how. I love the imagery that they're showing us with Harlem. <clears throat> they're showing us a Harlem that's vibrant. I, I just love how, I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Harlem, and I love seeing, oh, I know that spot, I know that spot. It looks, it, I mean, it looks beautiful, and I love how they're evoking 
the upper upper portion of Manhattan. I love Simone Missick. I, I love Frank Whaley. Uh, I think uh, Marshali Ali is doing an amazing job. He's a compelling villain. But the downsides for me are, I mean, I think the lead himself, Mike Coulter, I think he's not bringing it for me. I, I still feel just like in Jessica Jones, as in Jessica Jones, he's very stiff. He doesn't, as an actor, just just my opinion, and I don't know if it's going to make any sense, he doesn't know how to use his face as a, as a tool. And what I mean by that is I get basically two expressions from him. I get blank, and then I get scowl. Um, he's he's very stiff. It's like in his contract, he has he has in his contract. I don't want to lean over or bend in any way, shape, or form, even if I'm fighting. I want to stand straight up on my feet and just yank people out of walls and stuff like that. I, I don't want to extend myself too much. It's, he needs to loosen up. This is just my opinion. I also I understand that uh, the writers want to emphasize an Afrocentricity to the show. I have no problem with that, but sometimes I think it makes the writing less seamless than it could be. I'm not going to spoil anything, but there's a scene where a young man um, assaults or, or a cop, Luke Cage, while he's standing outside of the, the um, of Cottonmouth Fortress. And we get very preachy writing trying to get a point across, and I understand that they feel the need to do that. I'm behind it, but let's keep that writing seamless, okay? So that's just my ins and outs, my two-minute review of the show. Um, I'm going to go to a groove in a moment <laughs> before I get into my mix. But I, I want to go back to, to Daryl quickly. Now, Daryl, you, you referenced this New York Times piece. I, I'm unaware of their review. It, just in a nutshell or a snapshot, what is it that the New York Times was – what were they saying about Luke Cage that you really didn't, you know, get? Well, essentially, they, they just said – what Q said. They said, oh, he's better as a secondary character. He was better in Jessica Jones as the secondary character. And I I took offense to that. I actually did. Because, um, and this is where I disagree with, with what Q is. In the beginning, yeah, he's stiff. But as it goes on, you see him soften a bit. You see him grow into the role where and, and, and shows 10, 11, 12, 13. When you get to his uh, character arc, I felt for that. I felt, I felt the emotion. I felt, I felt he was giving it all. Right? The best thing, and, and this is where I look at it as a positive, the best thing about him being stiff, and the outsider in the first uh, the first two thirds of this show is that you got to use Harlem as a character. You got to use the whole supporting cast as a character where you were invested, not just in Luke Cage, not just in the title character, but you were invested in what the Stokes were doing. I brought up Bobby Fish. You were invested in what he was doing. You got invested in some of the side characters. I brought up Misty Knight. Hell, they, they could have easily went, this is Luke and Misty. Because honestly, the, the the heroism splits both ways here uh, with how they told this. All right, his his not commanding every scene helps the rest of the show grow. 
so that when he has to be the prime character towards the end of the show, you have gotten a feeling from everything else. You're rolling with him. You roll into that, and it helps. Hey, Daryl, I, I should have I said, uh, put a caveat. I've only gotten to, I want to say, episode five, where they show his origin. That's as far as I've gotten, so... Okay. Well, well, well you, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get there. But here's where here's where you I respect what you say more than the New York Times. All right. The, the, <laughs> the reviewer with the New York Times. All right. I asked, did you go past episode one? Did you just do this review off of just episode one? Go like, because obviously you didn't see episode two. You didn't see episode three to just go, oh, and you made the blanket statement on the whole series from just the first show. I didn't get a response back. So I was I like, okay, I, I didn't get a response back. That's what led me to do what I did on Twitter. And for folks at Daryl Benjamin, you can read exactly what I said. And if you got a problem with me, I'm on air now. Come take your shots. Back to you, Afrener. Can I right. interject something real quick? Real quick, uh-huh. just real quick, Afrener. Some of the writing at times is going to be too black for people. It's also going to be too black for not just some black people, loads of white people. It's going to go over their head. They're going to have to look up things. Now, some people will say that's a bad thing. Other people would say it's about time. <laughs> it all depends on your perspective. You know, it all depends on your perspective. So well, I, I can, can I can see with you. Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate I that see? because there we go. <laughs> I want I want authenticity, which mm-hmm. is why I love and I said this. I feel as though Harlem is a character, is its own character. The music is its own character. So that whole opening scene which, frankly, I enjoyed immensely. And I'm sure, and I'm sure if I understood every single reference, you know, if I knew basketball, then I'm sure I'd enjoy it even more. But I'm just saying, I can appreciate the fact that, you know what, maybe I don't understand every single thing that they're talking about in this barber shop. And that's okay. That's okay. I want it to be the real. Be real. Be real. It doesn't have to be something that is completely in alignment with my personal experience. I want to under I want to see something else. I want to learn something else. So I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Yeah, okay, like I said, had I really understood all and you mentioned this cap, all of what they were talking about in terms of black history, black culture, black references, black inside slang and terminology and and shorthand i you know what i'm sure i'd enjoy it more but it doesn't mean that i'm not able to to be fully engaged i love that opening scene i love that opening scene because i really already feel for the uh for for uh pops the barber like already i'm like oh yeah i i i wish i knew this guy you know i wish i I wish I had my own little crew like this, you know, with the the other old man playing chess and, you know, everybody knows everybody. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I, you don't necessarily have to understand 
all of it, but that's good. That's good. Yes, it's going to go over some people's heads, but oh well. Oh well. The whole point about this is just giving authenticity, a true slice of life. It doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be um, diluted. It doesn't have to be watered down in order to try to appeal to the lowest common denominator, to, to, you know, to where everybody, not just black folks or anybody under the age of 25, can understand what's happening. No, the whole point is, is that we, just, we want the real. At least I do. But you make a good point. You're right. You're right. Some stuff is definitely going to go over folks' heads. On that note, let's go to a quick groove. Uh, this is from the soundtrack. We saw that Method Man makes an appearance at some point. Uh, I think for those who haven't got who have who haven't been able to get past episode five, he's much further down, and it's just a passing reference. But again, it, it was kind of a cool exchange. As a matter of fact, there's even a there's even a trailer that shows the exchange between Luke Cage and Method Man as himself. So um, this is Method Man. Ali Shaheed Muhammad, who is a St. Albans, Queens native, and this is Bulletproof. Give you about two minutes. We'll be right back. Let's group. You gotta be so cold to make it in this world. Yeah, you're a natural living your life cutthroat. You gotta be so cold. Yeah, you're a natural. Alexa, play Imagine Dragons. Okay. Cause you're a Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Yo, Sway, man. I can't even describe it, man. The situation was crazy, bruh. If I was a gorilla, I would say it was bananas, B. For real, the man just, he just took over the whole situation, Doc. Listen. Man, it is what it is. Can't understand a man if you ain't live what he lived. Coaches in the crib and got no food up in the fridge. But the crime running rampant and it's screwing up the kids. Sway a man, what kind of paradise is this? I just want my 40 acres and some cats on the wrist. But these niggas trying to gather in the pit. When you get the cotton now, plucking ashes off the cliff. Off the rip, now I challenge every clip. Any bulletproof shoot, what kind of caliber is this? Got thugs in the store with the barrel on your lips. Saying if he out the jail before he's hanging with the grip. Lord, who the call when no one obeys the law? And there ain't no Iron Man that can come and save the song. Power to the people and Luke Cage the cause. And the cops got it wrong, we don't think Cage involved. Look, dog, a hero never had one. Already took Malcolm and Martin, this is the last one. I beg your pardon, somebody pulling a fast one. Now we got a hero for hiring, he a black one. And bullet hole hoodies in the fashion. We in Hall of Paradise, Delicatus. That I'm about to trade the mic for a Magnum. Give up my life for Trayvon to have one. Yeah, cause this is bulletproof love. And you already know what a bulletproof does. So you can take it from a bulletproof love. The hood got his back, dog, bulletproof love. Blood thicker than mud And who am I to judge if you get a gun in the club Cause you already know what a bulletproof does When the hood got your back door Bulletproof love Yeah, shout out to Pop R.I.P. my brother Streets is crazy nowadays People say we don't need another hero But now we got one Whether you like it or not Luke Cage, please believe it sir The streets got your back You already bulletproof love baby
Okay, we're back. St. Albans' own Ali Shaheed Muhammad from Tribe Called Quest. But he's been a uh, prolific producer for quite some time. And, of course, that was the mighty Method Man, Bulletproof, an homage of Luke Cage, and, of course, from the soundtrack of the Luke Cage Netflix series. Okay, let, let me weigh in. Um, Claire, I, I appreciate that she was able to note that there's some things that she might have missed. She picked up a lot. Um, and she admittedly said that, hey, you know, um, she thought of it thought of it as being real, and she she might have thought there were some characters that were not that were less than noble that fulfilled some kind of stereotypical um, stereotypical mode. Um, this is my my thought about thought about the, the the series. Something that Claire and myself talk about quite a lot is our, our mutual a mutual ability to see nuance. As long as there's balance, I can I can accept a lot. Now, admittedly, I have not seen Empire, at least not full through. I've seen like flashes of of Empire, and it's it's meant to be a, more of a soap opera. It's meant to be uh, a bit like a dynasty over the top, overacting, uh, a lot of histrionics. And I feel that again, I have not seen an Empire episode, but. From those who really have take issue with it, it seems like it really toils in a lot of stereotypes without a lot of balance. With Luke Cage, all the all of my co-discussants have said that they they saw um, each individual as a character unto itself, and that is correct. Having seen all thirteen episodes, you clearly see everyone has an arc. And even the barbershop is a character unto itself. At some point you find out that the barbershop that Pops and Luke Cage work, and and including, I guess, tangentially um, Bobby Fish, the barbershop is a is holy ground. It's literally Switzerland. It's 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 a place where the gangsters, the politicians um, the the, the ne'er do wells, the do gooder, do gooders, the up and up, the squares, as they, as they may say on the street. Whatever faction you belong to, everyone is in agreement that that spot remains holy ground. So, and also, listen, yours truly is the son of a master hairstylist. See, I am the son of a barber. So I'm very, uh, I have a PhD in black barbershop. Barbershop isms, and there's a lot of things that I saw in that barbershop that I saw growing up under the tutelage of the Oracle. He has hired men and women uh, who, who who would sleep sweep up the shop, um, who who would do things to you know. He would help folks like that to get them on their feet. That's a that's part of black culture. Um, barbershops and hair salons are one of the few places in the black community where everyone has to go to go to the barber at some point. Your politician, you know, uh, there have been folks that have gone through Desmark, his and hers, Hempstead, Long Island, incidentally, where uh, there have been celebrities. I think we have a connection to Lou Gossett somewhere. I think um, Lou Gossett or his family, uh, my father knows or has cut their hair, uh, Sh- Cheryl Lee Ralph, there's a connection. There's a few notables, but I'm putting it out there because my father has, has styled the hairs of, of 
the politician, the the millionaire, the to the drug dealer. That that gamut. Everyone in the black community, from all tier levels, has to go to the barbershop. So there are aspects in Louis Cage that actually cover that. And the fact that the barbershop, you will get into these long, comical, sometimes serious, sometimes sometimes profound discussions. And the fact that they were able to go into Luke Cage himself, he you found out when you get beyond uh, the first couple of episodes, it's something that they've actually changed from the 1972 comic book, is that he was a police officer who was wronged in this iteration. He's a police officer who was wronged, uh, who was framed, and he ends up going to prison. So you 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 get a, a clearer a clearer vision as to why he has this kind of moral compass. Why is he why is he good? Why isn't he un, why isn't he phased by wealth? Why isn't he phased by temptation? But the fact that you you see someone outwardly who may come off like an everyman or a thug. I, I prefer to see him as an everyman, not really as a thug. But he's a he's a big dude who can talk about literature. He could talk about, you know, just about anything. So he's he's somewhat learned. And is it and even is mentioned. I think even even his his wife there's a part, part a point in the movie, well in the series where you see a a um a a past clip of his wife speaking about how educated how educated he is and how he can fool you. So there's a part there's a banter in the in the barbershop where they talk about Donald from Donald Goins to Walter Mosley. See, I appreciate that kind of thing. Uh, heck, there's some things that I might have, I, I may have to go back to some authors I was unfamiliar with. Many of them I will confess I was, I was aware of. Uh, the, the whole ghost of the Harlem Renaissance also plays a role in this series. So it's not just a comic book. And all I can say was Marvel knows how to do this. And if DC doesn't figure this out, I know, uh, Claire, we, we, you and I go back and forth about this DC versus Marvel thing, and we come off like we are um, so mar- so much into being Marvel d- devotees. But it's, it's just that with Luke Cage, I'm pretty sure the Uncanny will agree with me on this one, they put enough garnishes if you're dealing with, with a meal. And I do look at uh, media as a type of meal. And you can see when you ingest bad media, you see what happens. When you, if you were to, you know, Fetty Wap and all, all that other nonsense, and uh, and uh, our resident um, Al Sharpton spokesperson, Little Wayne, a side kid. If you ingest that kind of kind of media as a meal, it could be very deleterious. But with this, with, with, even with the N word spouting around. And I have my issue with, with co- the constant reference to, to the N-word, as I did with the boondocks. But if, it, if there's enough balance, if you're going to throw in Hall of Renaissance references, Duke Ellington songs or Duke Ellington reference, uh, they had a lot of herb alt music in this thing, believe it or not. Um, so much of the music that we play at, 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 at here at AfroNerd, that was what we saw in Luke Cage. So... Even some of the complaints that that Q might have had early on about it just being hip hop, no, nah, it was it was the stylistics, the delphonics, 
um, Charles Bradley. You had uh, Faith Evans doing uh, an old school number. Uh, she was terrific. Uh, it, re- it reminded me a lot of New York Undercover in some ways. You know, with those, with with there being a club and these these artists actually performing the music while Cottonmouth and his cousin, played by Alfred Woodard, when they mix it up. So that, I don't want to go into too much detail. I mean, I could really talk about this forever. But I, I was impressed with it. I thought that it, it, could, it will stand alone. I, I'm very, very disappointed with the New York Times perceiving Luke Cage as like, oh, he's good as a, 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 as a sideline character. What were you looking at? Yeah, I, I, let me bring back Dow. That, that is an issue. If you just saw the first episode and you start to write a review for the New York Times, if you're just talking about that, because well, there, there's so much going on. And it, and it also reminds me that Netflix is going to be the conventional movie killer. <laughs> let me repeat that. Netflix, Netflix is working hard to be the conventional movie killer because what's happening is that when you – it even reminds me of Daredevil season one. In a two-hour movie or 90-minute movie, you're just not able to really determine who are these people. Like, you saw in Wilson Fisk, you saw his development and his abuse. Well, you had to look at him a little differently than that one-dimensional villain. You saw a similar, a similar deal with Cottonmouth. You saw his sister, they were, how, they, how those two were raised. When you're able to see, go back 30, 40 years into, into, those, into the past, because there was a sequence where you got, a ch- you got a chance to find out Luke Cage, who he was. You got a chance to find out who these people were intimately. And it makes for a, a richer a cinematic meal. But when you're dealing with a 90-minute movie, you're like, what am I doing here? I'm beginning to actually feel that way, and I'm hearing other people chime in the same way, that Netflix is damaging to regular moviegoers. Like, who do, we don't know these people when, we, when you see a conventional movie. But when you have 13 hours to go into someone's childhood and their personality and their quirks and tics, um, it's a better movie-going experience. You feel richer for it for some reason. So I, I just love the, the Luke Cage series. Um, Hell, they even had a, they even threw in enough references, uh, enough shout outs and call call tos for uh the other series. You know, um Turk who's mm-hmm. like this what would you classify Turk? Turk is like just this he's um He, he was he, in the barbershop. <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying as a character. He, he's just he's kinda like a comic relief, but he's one of those characters that just um you know what it's I'm going to, this is kind of a goofy connection, but uh, uh, Ben Ten, who, who was the character that played the the um, the name of the character that was the, uh, uh, the 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 guy with the spikes, like the mouse type character. Uh, no, I got even a better one. I I got even a better one than that. He is the shocker. All right, like like he wants to be big time. Turk wants to be big time, but on all of these, he comes off like a petty, uh, a petty two-bit crook. But somehow he has survived through all of these shows. Hey, hey, when Punisher gets his series, I'm really interested to see how Turk survives that since Punisher kills everybody. 
but somehow Turk manages to some like 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 that one pesky fly that flies around your head that you can't kill. Turk manages to survive, you know, and he 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 Just is ne- it, what. He's he's Netflix's Stan Lee. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be through all of these series, dude. Well, he, he's like a, a kind of a lovable loser, you know, who has no real kind of a low-level moral compass. Like, he's not the kind of guy, no, he'll sell you out, but, you know, he may rise to the occasion to do something good. You know, he's like a negative Mary Sue, maybe. You know, he's he's that character that kind of comes in at the last minute and figures it out, but kind of, but he's not someone you like him, but he's kind of a, he's kind of an a hole. Kind <laughs> of an a hole. Well, you know, but listen, <laughs> he he does something when when Cottonmouth takes care of someone, and I'm just going to be vague about it, but I, they can you know they can figure out what that means. When he takes care of someone that's supposed to, that owes Turk, and Turk is like, when am I going to get paid? When am I going to get paid for selling someone out? And uh, Cottonmouth does what he does, and he says, yeah, try getting it now, which is not exactly what he says, but, you know, try, you know, try getting it now. And Turk says, you N-words are crazy. <laughs> I'm going back to Hell's Kitchen. Like, that little thing makes me smile because you know what that's about. And there's a whole bunch of other references to, you know, magic hammers and green skin monsters. So they play it ultra uber straight. And that's another thing too, is that it's 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 another dimension. It's a it's a it's a fourth wall breakage when a character is when this is so gritty and so real world based, and and people talk matter of factly about uru hammers and. Uh, you know these gods that are walking the earth. My kid on uh, the street. It, it, it My kid it on the street. Yo, yo, yo! I got the footage. Clear, clear. I got clear footage for you. I, I was like, wow. We even street dealing this. And shout out to great shot of the Schomburg. <laughs> you'll see, you folks. You'll see it when when they're doing some of their walks in the city. You'll see the Schomburg several times. So uh, I'm yes, going to see it again. Yes. 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 Q. I just wanted to speak. Forgive me for coughing. I'm recovering from bronchitis, so I'll try to mute myself. But uh, I wanted to speak to one of you, uh, uh, you, Deeberg. You were talking about how you can't really address characters in a two-hour movie. You're getting, you're getting kind of spoiled with the Netflix uh, paradigm. Let's look at the flip side of that, though. In my opinion, I feel like Daredevil 2, second series, and same with Jessica Jones, I think those two series suffered a little bit by putting way, way much filler between maybe the fifth to the tenth episodes, fifth to the eighth episodes. So I think there's something to be said with I agree with that. a, screen, a screenwriter who is skilled enough and talented enough that he or she can draw out a character and give me three acts where you have the introduction, conflict, resolution in each act over two hours. 
I think, and I'm at the point now where I think I've just started episode six. I'm starting to feel that feeling of they're drawing this out. I mean, why doesn't Luke Cage just go after the source and take care of it, okay? I'll ask myself that question on the fifth episode. Why am I going through all this? Why doesn't Luke Cage and vulnerable Luke Cage go and handle his business with Cottonmouth and be done with it? So there's something to be said for having to tell a tight story within two hours and being successful at doing it. Well, you, yeah, you got a point. You do. Cap? Well, all right. <laughs> what, what I was going to say is he has a valid point. He was talking about Daredevil. I can understand that. But also you have to understand the aspect, the way Luke Cage is done up for this series. He has that moral compass also messing with him. You know, and he also has a he has a moral compass and he has a conflict within himself that's slowing him down. That's what they're playing with. But I do get your point there. So because of that, they're, they're allowed to drag it. Because I felt the same way at first. I definitely felt the same way. But I also understand character development. And at times it does have to drag before, you know, it, it can pick up some and you get a full overall stand, understanding of it. That's all I was going to say. Yeah, you know, my my thought thoughts on it, though, uh, as far as, you know, editing and a two-hour movie, I just think sometimes, you know, listen, maybe there has to be a balance then. Uh, I would agree that you, you might have a lull when you deal with, um, you know, filler episodes here and there. Um, and you're not going to get a perfect, you're not going to always get a perfect project. I mean, that's very difficult. But I, but if you get, you know, an 80 percentile range or 75 percentile range, uh, I, I'm not going to really do too much complaining. But I will say, you know, comparatively speaking, with a lot of the, 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 the so- stories that I'm kind of milling through on net, in Netflix, I'm starting to feel like, wow, you know, you, you're really getting – even with Stranger Things, I mean, it's just, it's just certain certain projects that you start to see that, and this is not, I'm not the only one that's been saying this, that Netflix is, is becoming such a phenomenon that you're starting to see the flaws of these two-hour films when it's all about editing, and it's rush, 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 and you start to see formulas uh, developed where it's, it's a very, it, you know, movies are very formulaic, and you know how this is going to play out, and you're just sitting there, and uh, especially when you deal with serialized, a serialized genre, comic books, just for what they are, they're extremely serialized. It's always that cliffhanger, and then you get, you get brought back in. It's a perfect wedding for this type of product. This binge-watching thing is very much a comic book, a comic book thing. Dad knows what I'm talking about. I mean, we've been collecting comics for, for years, and it's, it's all about keeping you in, involved in an arc. It could be a, a, a 10, 10 issue, 20 issue arc. That might as well be a TV series. I'm, I'm just saying that, I, you know, these, these movies got to be really good now for, to me after you experience Hulu. I mean, it's just, you're talking about a streaming culture. We are under the, the precipice of a streaming culture versus sitting down for a 90 minute movie and it's like, you know, laugh track or you know, a few laughs and you move along or, you know, the hero saves his, saves the day. It's, you know, a crescendo, a couple of acts, and then you move along. I mean, you know, it's all right, but it kind of, I mean, that's probably why Marvel kind of wins on some level, even even though 
they have two-hour movies here and there that they keep everything as a serialized thing. And when you have the after credit scene, that's that comic book thing working its, working its way. It's like, i got to come back next year to see what happens with such and such. I don't know. I think you start, I just believe you, you do see the flaws in conventional movies. And I think movies are going to suffer because of that. It's already happening. All I know is no one knew who the Guardians of the Galaxy were until that movie came out. That was a two-hour movie. They nailed it. So you can't complain about films not getting the job, at least Marvel films. You can't complain because by the time I left that theater, I wanted to know everything there was to know about the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. So it can be done. Yeah, but that's, know, that, that's on the filmmaker, though. That's well, what what type of story you want to tell. You better have your ducks in a row. It can't just be, I'm going to go in and do this movie for $50 million. Okay, I got paid now. Let, let me come up with ideas of the story. You better have a think. You better have a thought. You better have an idea going in there. Because now, after the Netflix infection, we're looking for that character development. We're looking to get invested. If you if you just try to 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 sleepwalk through it, we we're now like we're all now certified reviewers now, looking at all of this stuff. So we will catch the little things we like and we don't like. The problem is, as you review it, and I go back to the New York Times thing, as you review it, all right, you may not have the knowledge or stuff like that, but. Your reviews now are on record, so we can look at your review and go back and take a look at other stuff you've reviewed and uh, match it up and compare it. That's why I specifically mentioned Breaking Bad and Sopranos for two reasons. One, um, I I could count the amount of people of color in those series on, on one hand, and two, after seeing one or two of them, New York Times were quick to proclaim them as the best ever. And I'm like, okay, so it only takes like one episode for you to say, this is the best ever, or this is the worst ever, not knowing that series go through peaks and lows, like you guys just referenced to. That's why I wanted more context than that. But when you're telling me, when you're telling me, oh, Luke Cage is better as a supporting player. I wanted to know how much you've seen. Did you see the whole thing? Did you see half of it, where it starts his arc towards being a hero? That's the main thing I wanted to express here. I'm not ripping them just because they they watched one episode and, and then gave a proclaiming review like they saw the whole thing. I'm ripping them because they did exactly that. They did not give it a chance. And in the climate we are in, economically and socially, to not recognize that that's some of the themes that Mr. Coco was playing off of, why that in no small part resonates to what message Luke Cage gave you, not to even give that type of credit. That's foolish in a review. I'm sorry. That is foolish. And that's where your reviews hold less weight with me now. You have to take into account 
what's going on out there to have something like this that was not only respectful to the black community, but also respectful to law enforcement at the same time. Well, in an era where it's, uh, people out there is treating it as either or, this manages to walk the line the, uh, right down the middle. Why? Because of Misty Knight. Why? Because of Luke Cage. They neglected to go focus on that, too. But they got the music, you know. They, you can't front on the music. Anybody who says they hated the music in this, well, obviously, you know, you're not suited for black music whatsoever. And you forgot to mention Sharon Jones, too. Folks, you'll see when Sharon Jones' music plays, and I dare you not to cry when that's, that's happening, or at least tear up or get emotional about it. All right? Like I said, I, folks, you have your own brains to use here. All right? You've heard three or four different opinions here. All right? I'm not going to attack you for having an opinion, but I'm going to attack you if you're going to stand on a pedestal with your opinion, and then when I ask you to back it up, all of a sudden you get quiet. All right? If you're going to come at me, if you're going to come at this, then do like you. Do, do like Captain. Have the ideas, have the facts, have the rationality to back it up. Because if you don't have that, I will chew you up. This is the supervillain stepping in. You know what my role on this show is. Right there, you come wrong, I will check you. Back to you, Afrinerd. Oh, Jesus. Hey, hey D, I just want to uh, real quick. Yeah. One moment. I, I don't really, I never really read a lot of Power Man growing up. There was one moment in episode five, I'm not going to spoil it too much, but he grabs a yellow shirt. Oh, yeah. I okay. Geek, I, I geeked out. I geeked out. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and he said exactly what was correct when he looked at himself. <laughs> but I, For yeah, 2016. I still, I still geeked the hell out. See? Hey, like like I said, and, and Q... As a reviewer, I respect you because you stand by what you got. But even you had that moment here. If you if you followed Luke Cage, if you've done any reading of Luke Cage, there's a moment in here for you. you know, there's something else too, um, and, I, and I will I want to move along <laughs> uh, with. With not having the knowledge on some of this stuff, like I, I remember um, school days when school days was, was reviewed, and and again I I attended for my undergraduate I attended a historically black college, so I was I'm, I was very very much aware of intimately what Spike Lee was trying to do. Spike Lee was a Morehouse is a Morehouse graduate, so you if you attended an HBCU ECU, you're going to see some things that are familiar to you. Reviewers are so like they didn't know what they were looking at, and white reviewers you could tell you could tell their bias and their ignorance when they would say things about Gene Carlo Esposito's haircut. They would focus on a man because he had a part in the middle of his head, you know. Like like they said, well, is this Groucho Marx? I mean, what is what is he, what is that? Like what is, what the hell? What were they looking at? But again, school days dealt with, dealt with uh, skin tone issues and. And tier levels in the black community, the black middle class versus the black lower class. You had these these uh, elite students that came from middle class backgrounds, and uh, you saw a young um, a young Sam Jackson makes an appearance 
where he plays one of these these uh, lower lower tier black folk with with, with these Jericho bag on, and the, you know there, there's these, these these factions that are going on in the black community that very few people are privy to. Um, I've made note on this show. I can't remember the, the young man's name. I need to. I try to get him on the show. He was the. I think a few years ago he had the distinction of being the, a a uh, the a Morehouse's sole white valedictorian. So he's a white guy that went to a black college, and he's doing quite well. I think he he, he runs his own investment firm in Manhattan. Um, but he's very intimate about black culture. I mean, he was literally raised around black folks, and he has a black wife. So. Uh, tangentially, he's he's culturally black, but even he had said that he did not know that there were so many different types of black people. And you're only going to know that if you're in an, in an intimate setting. But when you have people reviewing this stuff and they just say, "Oh, well, Luke Cage, Luke Cage is you know he's good as a sideline character," that's because for, you know that's that that internal biases working. Or that internal bias, I should say, that's working with, you know, when you're seeing minority folk as second bananas all of your life, and then you see the black man as a as an empowered being, we see how that's working out. We see that in real time now with Barack Obama. They, it, it turns people off, certain people off. Uh, it 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 uh, it um, messes with their sensibilities. It's, they're not accustomed to it. So they, they, you hear all kinds of weird stuff. That's, that's why Daryl is correct when he talks about how, how sometimes these reviewers weigh in, and they don't know what the heck they're looking at, and their own internal bias, in my estimation, they, 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 they would prefer to see you in the secondary positioning. And when they don't see you in that, all them, all, all, automatically they say, ah, well, I'm not really, I think he's a second guy. Well, well what's that mean? I mean, what's that mean? Anyway. Hell, hell, and folks, there'll come a point where where Luke needs to have a suit, and they got well-known Dapper Dan from Harlem. Oh, see, I'm to, glad you mentioned that. Damn, in, I forgot about that. All right, to come in and give him a suit. All right, folks. Dapper Dan is an institution in Harlem, okay, and and it goes without saying. So the, to get a suit from Dapper Dan, and even get a suit from Dapper Dan personally, that is an honor. That is a recognition. And the whole episode deals with, well, Luke has to take care of business, but he just got the Dapper Dan suit. So okay, you know, I'm glad. You, damn, you got a good memory. <laughs> Uh, okay, let me, let me, just for Claire's sake, for Claire's sake. See, Claire's on t- on point when she says there's some things you're not going to get if you're not really familiar. And that's that could be regional also, the fact that uh, Claire may not be familiar with Dapper Dan. But even, yeah. even Dapper, Dan, Dapper Dan has a has a connection in a way to the get-down. If, if, you know, if they explored that, if, you know, we, we were told it was canceled, but thank, thank no. you it's not. It's not canceled. Like, oh, please don't cancel this thing. Dapper Dan, um, for Claire and to the listeners who may be unfamiliar, um, Daryl is correct. Daryl, he is a haberdashery in Harlem, uh, well-known, and anybody who's anyone who's anybody goes to Dapper Dan to get a custom outfit. 
And that goes back especially to the hip-hop days and even into the 70s, but hip-hop days specifically, where you know, hip-hop was all about your own personal look. Um, it, Dapper Dan was referenced in, 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 in hip-hop records. Anybody and everybody who's in New York knows Dapper Dan. So when Dapper Dan makes an appearance in Luke Cage, I was like, How, I, I, can't, I can't not love this series. I mean, you, you know, that's, and then he even he even asked him about Mike Tyson. You know, Mike Tyson, who's known, uh, you, you may have issues with Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson can dress. Mike Tyson, you know, had a fight with with um, Mitch Green, a, a, a fight, a street fight with Mitch Green, which was well known. So, um, he's don't our Amani. Like Say it again. He's uh, he's our Amani. You know, yeah. he so, that that's what he is, you know, like like and and just to have that 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 was great, but just to show you how much Luke Cage identified with Harlem, you know, and he he knows he has to take care of business, but he knows this is a dapper dad suit. I ain't effing this up worth a damn. So that was yeah. a bit of comedy there and a bit of um, character growth, and you'll see it. But that's why when I get a review like this, I can tell you you haven't gone far in the series before writing the review because, to me, he isn't cardboard. By showing these emotions, you could see the growth of him as a character. Yeah, I'm glad you remember that Dapper Dan thing. I have to start writing notes because I, because I, when I, as I was looking, I said, okay, this has got to be brought up in the show. I'm, so I'm glad. Kudos to you for remembering that. Um, I mean, I literally was looking at this thing almost nonstop, um, and I'm going to have to look, revisit it because I was nodding off at some points because it's just, it's just hard to, to to pull in those kind of hours. I mean, I literally was binge watching like the entire. I couldn't stop looking at it. It really is like, it really is crack, virtual crack, uh, folks. Again. Uh, we're at the midway point. Uh, this is the Grindhouse edition of Afternoon featuring Captain Kirk, Clay Linnae, the Uncanny Darrell B. Uh, our friend Q Storm is in tow. Uh, let's move things forward. We'll, we, we will probably have to revisit revisit um, the Luke Cage series, but I, I, I'm digging it. You got Dapper Dan in there. <laughs> I'm pretty much I'm pretty much set. Um, let's talk about this Wonder Woman deal. Greg Rucker, phenomenal writer. He disclosed something that I think we already knew, but how this will – and we spoke about this before, but uh, I, I'm, not so, I'm not so sure if it's uh, – I don't know what to think about. I mean, it's, it's kind of an obvious thing because uh, Themyscira, a.k.a. Paradise Island, a.k.a. Lesbos Island, it's kind of implicit that th- these women have never seen men in theory, although that's been addressed at some point also. Um, you, Daryl, is it is it more or less um, in later later issues, later years that they actually address how how uh, Amazonians procreate? Well, that was like the Azarello. Azarello run, where and people got upset about that, where they 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 t- essentially raped men killed them to have their offspring or whatever, and people got pissed at that. You know what? This one is simple. This one is simple, and I'll keep this one short. Folks, it's an island full of women, right? It's been that way for centuries, okay? That's column A. 
Column B, they're human. So humans are passionate, emotional creatures. We laugh, we cry, we love. Okay, so that's B. So I was filled with women for centuries, okay? Humans are passionate creatures. That will give you C that if there isn't any men on the island, then they were bound to get intimate with each other. I'm just saying, A plus B equals C. You know, there's no men on the island. You know, it's been with their fellow women that they've fought with, hunted with, argued with, laughed with, cried with. There's one thing left out of that equation, isn't there? It's simple. The fact that people are getting into an uproar over this, I'm, I'm just laughing hysterically about because what you didn't think they were stoic and thing until a man came on the island get the hell out of here back to you after nerd unfortunately (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) unfortunately there were no afro nerds there to regulate those women which they they sorely need here it comes I'll leave that alone. Claire's there. I, I gotta respect. Be respectful. After that, the dark. Anyway, uh, uh, Claire, what, what what are your thoughts? I mean, we spoke about this before, but I think um, I do want to put this out there quickly before I pass the mic. The only thing that that might be a problem, and maybe I'm overthinking this, is that uh, the, the the Greek ethnicity thing and the fluid sexuality thing is that stereotype stereotyping, is that uh, tropey? You know, your Hercules, they've toyed with that thing uh, where, I mean, I, I missed it somewhere. Somewhere I missed that, that Hercules series where he was openly bisexual or whatever. Uh, I don't know. I, I, don't know. I, just, I, I like the Hercules, you know, Hercules and um, uh, uh, Amadeus Cho, I, uh, the incredible Hercules. Uh, yeah, when, they, when he took over the Hulk run for quite a few issues. Um, I don't remember, like, this whole um, fluid sexuality with Hercules specifically. But the fact that he's Greek, and they, they and they've played the Greek thing hardcore with this iteration of Hercules because the modern Hercules lives in where? Astoria. Uh, again, Claire, if you're not familiar with the New York area, Astoria, Queens, is a, is, is a well-known uh ethnically Greek neighborhood. So it's, it's, it's almost like a Dapper Dan moment. When you read that Hercules the God lives in Astoria, you say, oh, of course he lives in, he lives in Astoria. That's kind of kind of sort of cool. But the, the way that the Greek stereotype, or at least old school Greece, is that, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of shenanigans going on, same-sex shenanigans. Uh, so now you have two characters that, have, that, are, that are Greek in origin, and they have this fluid sexuality. I don't know. Is that does that play well to to, to the to 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 Greek to Greek people? I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. That's the only thing I'm concerned about. Uh, what, but what are your thoughts? Even you know, that's me overthinking it maybe. But your your thoughts about all this time and now that they may want to be more clear that she is has a, a sexual. She she plays the sex game in a fluid way. I mean, 
my first instinct was, why is this news? Like, why is this a declaration of, you know, of her her sexual orientation? Isn't this? I, and I said this in in the roundup. Are we not stating the obvious? Is it not absolutely implicit? Did you just all assume that all these ladies were a bunch of Virgin Marys and that they were all going to save themselves until the right penis came along? I mean, I don't understand. Like, why is this so surprising? Is this not so clearly written into the backstory? So when I read this, I'm like, oh, I don't understand why this is, like, surprising or a revelation. But what really gets me is people's reaction to it. Like, oh, here we go again, ruining my childhood with trying to change another character. And I'm like, what are we changing? What are we changing? Nothing. We are just clarifying what has already been assumed, I thought. I mean, I don't understand. This is just like my doppelganger already covered it. Math. Simple equation. You live on an island with women. Nothing but. Why wouldn't I assume or presume that Wonder Woman has had relationships with women? Why wouldn't I already think that? And that's why in a previous podcast I I brought it up. Like, well, I wonder if they're going to be honest and address this in the movie. Because it would be pretty damn stupid for them to just gloss over it and and act like, oh, well, you know, like every other woman, she's just waiting for the right man to come along. I'm like, wait a second. Like, what has she been doing all her life? I mean, what, she's a, are they all chaste? Are they all virgins? Are they all just, you know, as as she had mentioned in the uh, the trailer, they all just, you know, came out of a, 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 a bolt of lightning from Zeus or something? They all just came out of the ground? Like, what is this? Like, I don't... I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, first of all, why? Why is this suddenly, you know, a brand new thing that we're just now hearing about? No, it's not. And but my, my real irritation is people's reaction, these reactionary blogs and and uh, articles that I'm reading, acting all irate and upset. And here we go again. They're just, they're just, just changing everything and and it's not right i'm like are you kidding me are you kidding me you can say that about some of these fan these fan fiction you know as we again have previously discussed you know people wanting captain america and winter soldier to be gay wanting jessica jones and and trish walker to be gay okay i can understand why people might roll their eyes at that because that is not the story, okay? But here, isn't it obvious? Isn't it? Don't we already know this? What's the problem? What is the problem? I mean, I just, I really hope, I really hope that the Wonder Woman movie addresses this. 
again, we've already gone over it. We said, yes, while they may have a woman directing it, Patty Jenkins, keep in mind that three men wrote the script. So I, I, I just, we'll see. We'll see. But I'm just kind of like, why is everybody freaking out about this? Are you kidding me? I think I can answer that, though. I, I can answer why they're freaking out at it. They're, they're freaking out about it because now, now we're in an SJW world where everyone, as Crapton has so aptly said in, in, in ad nauseum, that uh, everyone desires self-importance. So now you have uh, uh, an LGBTQ community and other communities that just want to want to see someone of that stature be pretty much a gay icon. I mean, and, and also the fact that, you know, when people think about comic books, the thing that's almost laughable, even though it's called a comic book, but they're, they're quite serious. Comic books really are quite serious. Um, not to be so deep, but that's the only way I, I can be. You know, you, you, you think about, I mean, listen, Adolf Hitler had a problem with, with Superman. It, when these Jewish kids in the late 1930s were developing what was, what was one would say would be Nietzsche's Ubermensch, the idea of a Superman, um, the Nazis were, it, were obsessed with the notion of eugenics and superior humanity and improving on humanity. But, and you had these Jewish kids that really pretty much laid it out plain and bare to a great deal of popularity in the States. So they, look, they looked at, super, at the idea of super beings, not so comically. And it was a little bit of a, of a twist or a turning of a knife that you had Jewish folk, especially young Jewish people, developing this idea or furthering uh, the idea of an Ubermensch. Now, with Wonder Woman specifically, you're talking about William Moulton Marston, who was ahead of his time as, uh, at being a male feminist, having this whole alternative lifestyle that was, that to, even by today's standard, well, today it, it almost has a ring of normalcy with so many different uh, shout-outs to sexuality and, and this range of sexuality that people are tapping into what he was doing was way ahead of schedule with having living with two women and uh, the B&D the, the, uh, and S&M imagery that was rife with, with uh, the GGA art of its time, good girl art, that we saw with uh, the 1940s depictions of Wonder Woman. Every time you saw Wonder Woman, she was always bound, or some man was bound. I mean, you saw clearly he was channeling his lifestyle for a comic book read by children but it was a little under a little under the under the cuff there was a lot of there was some freaky stuff going on um so wonder woman is 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 this is patently feminist you know even we saw that in the trailer where you know you see that gal gadot is it's played for comic effect but when Chris Pine says that this woman, in, in his world, in man's world, this woman is my, is my secretary. She took offense to it. Like, she's not having that. So, you know, if you're dealing with a world where there's no men and, the, and there's no idea of a, of a patriarchy, you're talking about a matriarchal world. I mean, if you embrace it to its full extent, it means that, you know, 
it, it almost flips it with the raping of men. I mean, how that's played out. I mean, just great um, uh, Brian Azarella, and I think this taps into Greek mythology. I think is, is that is that what people were looking for, Daryl? More or less. I mean, he's really, he's really being true to to Greek mythology. I think. But that, that but that that's the double edged sword because it is now a historical fact that Greek civilizations, Roman civilizations, those early those early civilizations, their sexuality was a little fluid, you know, and they often. Well, I'm, it, not, even, I'm not even thinking about yeah. that. I'm talking about the fact. Well, as far as myth- mythological um, history, that. The, the Amazons, as warriors, allegedly would go on these ships. They would and sedu- kill men. They would, and, yeah. well, they, well, I mean, it's more complicated. I mean, they would seduce the men and, and, and basically uh, become pregnant and kill, like a black widow, kill these men. And even if the children were, were male, because there's a whole thing which they need to explore more. They're exploring it a little bit in, in, in uh, Wonder Woman. But... Uh, there's a brother island equivalent. There's, there are male Amazons. The children, because you know, with these liaisons, not every child is going to be a female. So when the, the male children, they have they, the Amazons have brothers on a, another island, if I'm not mistaken. Well, these are, they're dudes, but I think the dudes are powerless. I'm not, I'm not really completely sure about how that works, but I do know that the the, the, the male offsprings were somewhat discarded or. They they were put they they were a separate from this paradise themiscara thing. So I mean, if Wonder if they really ex, if, if they really expanded the mythology of Wonder Woman, it could be quite interesting. If you tap in to the Greco-Roman godhood, her demi god status, her feminist icon status, and then you know the whole um, women loving women, her discovery of this new man's world, how that works out, there's a lot to unpack. And, but you're also trying to sell tickets. You're trying to sell tickets, and you have a burgeoning community that wants that uh, asexual person, really. Because for all this time, for the last 70 years, you see, it, it comes up as if she's just so godly and above it all that she doesn't have carnal desires. And it's been... Then why is Steve Trevor there? Uh, Well, that's the status. You know why that's there. This is the quintessential classic story of, oh, well, if a woman is a lesbian, it just means that she hasn't met the right man. That's what this is saying. That's that's basically what this comes down to. And it just pisses me off because unlike other examples in which I might be able to be more understanding of somebody's frustration or anger or outrage, like, oh, you're ruining my characters, my childhood, how dare you. This is not that case. You cannot tell me that, oh, how dare they, they changed Wonder Woman. What are you talking about? What are you talking Changed? They're verifying what we already know to be true. I mean, that's well, my we, issue with this from from the get go. Is like, oh well, you know, she's a she's she's from this this island, Themyscira, which has all women, but but she's never been in love or had a romantic relationship until a man comes into her life. Like, are you what what? <laughs> 
slippery like, slope. I, mean, I have a problem with this. I just have a problem with this. Because I, even if you don't get into all the freaky deaky shit, that, I'm sorry, but like with all, all of that, William uh, Marston's, um, you know, the bondage and the, the 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 twist on his feminist beliefs. And yes, you're right. He was, I guess, you could call progressive. He was very much ahead of his time. But even if we don't get into all that, if, even if we don't go all deep into Amazon's, you know, raping men and, you know, taking their seed, even if we don't get into all that, there is definitely something wrong with the idea that we can just ignore the fact that she is on an island with only women. And you're going to tell me that she doesn't know what love or sex is until a man shows up? Like, I, oh, God. Oh, I just, we have I, calls. Now the, the, the lines are lighting up. There we go. All this bondage, <laughs> all this bondage talk and everything. Uh, let's go to 215. Welcome to the Grindhouse. Yeah, tell us who you are and where you're calling from. My name is John. I'm calling from Philadelphia. What I'm waiting to oh, hear yeah, John, what's is, up? We haven't uh, heard from you in a while. Yeah, I haven't been able to call, but I wanted to ask if you know of any uh, graphic novelists or, you know, um, African-American filmmakers who are going to make films about blacks who are superheroes or aspects of, like, the African society, like, in terms of, like, uh, the fairy tales or the myths that happen to be part of, like the African experience, if you know of filmmakers that are going to start to delve into that realm since we're starting to enter, like, the whole era of, like, post-Obama, the first black president, do you know well, if they're going to start to go into those types of archetypes? Because, see, what, what the movie industry and the science fiction industry and all this industry is based on the archetypes that are a part of the European culture. And what some of the filmmakers and the graphic novelists have to do, they have to start to get into the archetypes that are part of the African cultures. And if you, and if you start to put those things into the media, then you'll start to see a change because because then the artists are starting to go into the fantasies of people and what people can fantasize about. Because right now people are not able to fantasize about blacks as superheroes or as or 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 like in terms of blacks who are like uh, who happen to be part of the myth structure. Well, you know what of filmmaking you know what, John, or of making stories. You, you know what, John? You you're, you said something that's very crucial because uh, we can segue into that a little bit. Also, we, we're gonna we're gonna open up the discussion, but you did tap into something that uh, I hinted at. With the with the title of the show, with with the title, the pardon me, the subjects for this program, one of them is is with Tim Burton, and how at the Mary Sue website, uh, the 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 writer was critiquing Tim Burton for essentially having these predominantly white casts, and even I have to admit that this new was it Mrs. Peregrine Peregrine movie, yeah, um, you know I I didn't see the I confess I did not see the trailer. But I read about it. And I said, okay, this sounds pretty cool. It sounds kind of like a mystical X-Men kind of thing. But I didn't really see. I think there might be one child of color in this thing. And it's, it's, I'm saying, yeah. well, after, after all this time, 
why is it always we see these? So I started noticing even before I saw this article, I had I had focused on Tim Burton because I said, damn, I kind of like the idea of this Mrs. Peregrine thing or Miss Peregrine thing. Yeah. I'm like, why is everybody? You know, and when they have a child of color, he's just kind of just an incidental. He's he or she's a piece of furniture. <laughs> That's you know, why you know. Yeah. That's why I'm rooting hard for Eric Dean uh, Seaton's A Legend of Montemagi to get major funding. That's why I'm rooting hard for Roy Coupe's EXO to get major funding. You know, um, um, uh, I got to give it to, like, Black Ronan. He constantly gives me, gives me um, uh, African-American, pure African, like writers who are delving more into African mythology to do these heroes and stuff like that. So all I could tell because, you, sir, is just... Uh, just keep on Facebook, keep on Twitter. They're out there. It's just we need that first major one to break through. Hold on one second. Hold on one second, John. Hold on. There's uh, there's something even another topic. I mean, he's, everything he's mentioning, we're kind of addressing in today's show. Um, there's an article that I, I came across that spoke about uh, Marvel needing an auteur, that Marvel doesn't allow for an auteur. For those who may not be familiar with the term auteur, it means a director that has his or, his or her own style. Uh, where you know, if you look at a Spike Lee movie, or you look at an Alfred Hitchcock movie, or, or a Chris Nolan movie, his 10th movie, if you never knew who the director was, you could figure it out because he's literally the author, which is auteur is, is uh, French for author. He has he or she has her particular style. Uh, an Akira Kurosawa film is an Akira Kurosawa film. So uh, Marvel has not really allowed for that. Now, what he what what John was talking about, coincidentally, they're saying potentially Ryan Coogler might be the director that breaks the mold, where Marvel is allowing for an auteur to to do one of their. You know, where you're doing a Marvel film, but you're also doing a Ryan Coogler film. Um, maybe we we might see that uh, with with Black Panther. And coincidentally, something that may be of interest to Claire, um, there was an article, I'm trying to find it. There was an article that talked about how Marvel appears to be straightening out its quote-unquote black problem. Like these varied ethnicities... Marvel has a problem. There was a black problem with Marvel. And he said, now we're seeing all these black heroes or this, these, these black IPs uh, where we're seeing a more authentic voice coming out of Marvel. So there's an article that clearly said, well, uh, Marvel obviously has an Asian problem. So hopefully, hopefully, we will see Marvel, because the grill is on there behind. Clearly, the grill is on them. That well, maybe we, we might see more exploration. We can hope more exploration from other ethnicities, especially especially Asian folk, because they are become, We're seeing we're seeing a more blunt obfuscation with Asian people. Well, that's like, why it's, it, it's more than a slight; it's a slap. Yeah, you know, so we might see. Said, that's why I said in the beginning. Now that the Luke Cage thing has come out. Okay, and you've seen the well-rounded casting and characterization. I'm looking at Iron Fist, 
and they better not fall into the lazy stereotypes there. You got to give us well-rounded Asian characters in Iron Fist because there is no way you could slip back now. That's the the benefit and the curse of this. You've come so what's the uh, what's the line? Always forward, forward, always in Luke Cage. You can't slip back into the uh, the, the the Asian stereotypes now. Everything's got to be well rounded. Also, also with with well, actually, with this Spider Man that's coming out. Uh, wasn't there a character that was supposed to be Gonky? Uh, yeah, that they that that rumor came out that he was going to be white, and of course we well, had yeah. a little problem with that. I think. Well, yeah, but then at the same time, I'm thinking, well, this isn't the Miles Morales story, but it's playing like it. So it's like an in-between Miles Morales thing. Um, but but we're seeing. Listen, obviously, we're starting to see more focus on black characters, where you know, we're we're, we're, we're having some pride. We're see, you know, we're, we're getting what we want to a certain degree. Uh, I think next in line should be Asian folk, uh, because you know all of us have had these slights, but now it's getting to the point where it's beyond a slight. You know, Gonky gets screwed, uh, Iron Fist gets screwed. Um, hell, I would I would like to see a, a, a Master of Kung Fu. I mean, I, I actually I like Master of Kung Fu better because I thought he was more of a, of a Bruce Lee archetype. Clearly, the way Luke Cage tapped into black black exploitation. Um, uh, Shang Chi tapped into the martial arts film, films of the seventies um, and, and the and the early eighties. So uh, if they did it the right way, again they they'd have to move over these characters. Um, uh, Luke Cage had to be smoothed over. You know you couldn't you can't have like you know nineteen seventy two. I mean there's one other thing I I I'm going to open up the lines still. John, hold on. Uh, 703, you know, Quentin Tarantino has weighed in on this Netflix series, and he he was tapped to do, before Pulp Fiction, he was trying to work out a deal with Marvel to do his version of Luke Cage in the early 90s, around 93, with Larry Fishburne. But he's disappointed because he's a black exploitation guy. So he was going to do this more uh, bombastic version that might be truer to the early version of Luke Cage, but in 2016, I don't know if I would want to see that. I mean, well, let me rephrase that. I probably <laughs> would want to see it for, for S and Giggles. You know, I, I would like to see, because QT knows how to kind of transmogrify the, 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 that genre for today's stand. You know, if, if we were going to do a period movie in his kind of schlocky kind of way, I could go with it. But something that would be part of canon, no. This version is what I want to see when it comes down to, to be to be canonical. But if it's not going to be canonical, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a one-off of his version of Luke Cage. But he's he's in 1974, and he was disappointed with this version of it. Uh, 703, the, the DMV. What's up? Hey, everybody. How you doing? It's Bison for Life. Hey, Bison. What's up, man? Hey, up, everybody. Man? Hey, Kevin Kirk. I saw a zombie with a shotgun on my street, man. What should I do? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, hey, anyway, I want to just touch base with you because um, 
for years, you know, I've been calling in, and we are in a blurred renaissance right now. Here we are talking about a Luke Cage TV show, and people are nitpicking. One yeah. thing I did notice, one thing I did notice, I went on some of the mainstream sites like Comic Book Resources and IBDM and those. I noticed there's not much discussion on it. I'm still wondering why. This is why I think the problem is. I think people wanted Black Dynamite when it came to Luke Cage. Uh, I don't and want they're that. getting we have Black Dynamite. I know. <laughs> well, so they're getting something, we had that. They're getting something. They're getting something that they can't comprehend. And Captain Kirk hit it on it. He really hit the nail on it when he spoke earlier. If you have a certain age, you get all of it. Donna Goins, I got all of that. But I'm a man of a certain age. And um, there is some racial disconnect in this. It's New York-centric. It's Afrocentric. It's unapologetic. Either you get it or you don't. And a lot of people don't get it. I mean, and another thing I'm enjoying about it, it's... Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, Bison. And so, hold on, Bison. And some of us don't like coffee. <laughs> some of us don't like coffee. Oh, God. Well, I, well, I love coffee. I love coffee. Oh, love no. Coffee. Oh, God. Um, mm. A lot of respect for Mr. Knight. I, I got... I got a gift on that one. I, I'm using that gift. But yeah, also, I might have to use that line, actually. I might have to use that line. <laughs> Go ahead. But um, I think we also got to celebrate that in this show, you have women of color up front. Alfrey Woodard hit it out the park. And this should be no surprise. But I think a lot of comic book nerds and even some shows like Collider, and we go into these more mainstream sites, I think they're just not used to seeing women of color up front dominating a series like this. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think I think a lot of the critiquing is off. Now, we, we can get into exposition and all other things. There, there are points where it, it drags, but I think with this, I think it's a villain-centric TV show more so than a hero-centric TV show. <laughs> So maybe that's the issue. And I always want to dovetail real quick on Wonder Woman. Um, we know who created it. And if you remember in the early, like in the 50s, I don't know if you touched on it, but it some sort of movement uh, with women when they were banning comic books. And then oh, yeah, when yeah, it yeah. came back, it kind of went s and you know. Seduction right. of and, the innocent. Right. Yeah, I'll let you touch on that, you know, when you do a wrap-up or whatever. So that's tied into it, too. But whenever men write women characters, you're going to get that. And Claire is correct in the feedback and, and her vitriol with that. I mean, it's just it's just unnecessary, unwarranted. And it's just um, men trying to take, hold on to their childhood is long gone. Yeah, well, Bison, well, you, you, did t- you touched on something else, too, all right? And this is why I had a problem with, like, barbershop, okay? Yes, we have the sports conversations. Yes, we have the the pop culture conversations. But if you sit in a barbershop for uh, at least an hour, eventually those conversations turn into social conversations, political conversation, learn conversations, where you don't have to be having to go to a college 
to get into it. But you get, if you keep your ears open and you're paying attention, you get names dropped and you get information dropped where you're like, I didn't know about that. I'm going to have to check that out. Well, I hope a lot of people are paying attention here. Afrinerd? You know something else, too, that, that really kind of annoys me uh, about some of this stuff is that, you know, you have folks that are so reticent about uh, minority representation. And the best way to combat tropes is to really explore stories of people of color. Because, uh, and I mentioned this before, there's a dynamism to people of color, but there's a lot of backstories. I mean, it's all about the, the dissemination of product anyway. And if these products, you know, that, that have this, um, as Claire has said many times, this, this de- default Euro positioning, when it's always, always impossible white man movies, okay, when there's always that thing going on, even white folks are tired of that. So, um, heck, uh, I love all types of cinema. I like I like all types of culture, and I like to learn. I like to be. I, I'm a, a uh, intellectually curious person, so um, I would want to see all types of cinema so I can learn what other people are doing, so I can learn about their culture. But when you see this constant default thing going on, we don't learn anything. It's it's very um, enlightening for me to hear Claire say she may not be familiar with some of these Harlem Renaissance um, authors. But I guarantee you this, if you did, it will make you a better person. If you start to read a little bit of, of uh, Walter Mosley, who was also, incidentally, a comic book guy, he wrote, he wrote this, this Fantastic Four uh, coffee table book. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much multidimensionalism with people, especially ethnic people, that it makes for a rich dish. But this constant pablum that they're feeding us, it's whack. It's becoming whack. So when we see these other things going, it's refreshing to hear a, a, a superhero movie, to see a superhero movie where Donald Goins comes up in a conversation along with uh, Walter Mosley or some, or some Harlem Renaissance reference. That's next level. And then Dapper Dan shows up. Come on. Can I point out, can I point out something that a lot of people may have missed? And forgive me, I'm not going to give away something. It's a small thing. But it's something that's never happened in Hollywood ever. And I'm going to set it up. Um, there's a scene in one of the episodes where Missy Knight, um, boss, played by, um, I think it's Sonia Song, she leaves. She's moved or whatever. And her new boss comes in. And she's also a woman of color. That seems small. And it's probably to 99.9% of people. So what? But you've never seen that in Hollywood before, especially in detective stories or what have you, is you have a black woman detective, her boss was African-American, and the boss left and the new boss is African-American. That's something that's small, but it just shows it's in Harlem. And I don't know why there's this head scratching when there's this color representation in Harlem if you know the history of Harlem. So I just wanted to just put that in. But I did want to ask one quick question, um, Deeper. I know you said, you, you know, your father's a barbershop. Did, 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 right. did, does, he, um, does he have Netflix? Was he able to see the barbershop scene? You say, oh, was that, like, accurate for him, or you just going off your um Oh, no, well, first of all, yeah, that? definitely. 
to be yes. There's a lot of non-PC talk. I mean, my father runs an op, uh, uh, um, a respectful operation, but uh, trust me, that scene was on loop in the barbershop. And, and my father's shop also has pictures, black and white photographs of jazz musicians and, and also of, like, old uh, old black history. Like, um, he did, there's, there's a Harlem photograph of an old-school barbershop and, and that, that refinery. And, um, you know, there's, there's a picture of, um, of Billie Holiday. And you have young folks that come in there and don't know who these people are. So it ends up, it ends up having to be, like, a historical discussion to, to inform people. So if you if you go into his barbershop, there's going to be like a picture, you know, there's a, a picture of Obama there, but there's also a picture of of um, I can't, I can't, so many pictures on there. Um, by I can't even remember, but many of these are historical figures, or even or just not even historical pictures, but just like a barbershop in like 1920 Harlem. Like what, what does a barbershop look you. like? I thought of you when he brought up there was the portion where he's talking about Percy Sutton and you know, some of the yeah. um, scenes with the, you know, and that well, can see, go, you know, I'm not going to waste time with that, but you know where I'm going with that. But they, they yeah, really yeah, touched into some deep issues when they spoke about that and keeping Harlem black. A lot of people don't know. They, I mean, Hope Choker really roped in some deep issues when he talked about Percy Hutton and the, um, I think they were called the Gang of Four, you know. The Gang of yeah. Four. See, you see, see a game. Bison, you're, well, listen, you, you represent Howard, um, and I wouldn't expect any less from you. Those little, those little garnishes are important. It, it transcends just being a comic book movie. When you mention Percy Sutton, the late Percy Sutton. Percy Sutton was one of my heroes growing up because he was a, a black millionaire. He saved, famously saved um, the... Um, uh, what is it? I'm now forgetting. I have a brain fart. The uh, Apollo. The thank you. The Apollo. Um, uh, Basil Patterson is the father of of um, the former governor of New York. Um, what's his first name? The, the, he was blind. Why am I going through a blank brain fart? Anyway, there's David a, there's Patterson. an interconnect. Yeah, David Patterson, David Dinkins, who was also part of the Gang of Four. So when you start going into New York history, New York politics, Harlem politics, I mean, it's just supposed to be just a comic book, a comic book movie. It's supposed to be just a comic book. And Marvel, you got to give it up. When I went, when, when the blurred go respectfully, when she said, well, you know, uh, they could give us Jar Jar Binks, you know, and this kind of thing, it was played for laughs. But I, I, I have a lot more respect for Marvel as a quote-unquote white corporation, for them to explore this. But at the same time, you know, it's, you know we saw what happened with, with, with the Asian community, where they're, they're, they're being kind of lackadaisical, less than lackadaisical, about that representation. Hopefully they will, they will straighten that out where we can have this conversation a year from now or two years from now and say, okay, wait a minute, now they're starting to, they're starting to get things cooking now. Because it makes it for a richer experience. They need hmm. that. Matter of fact, I'll say this one thing. I, I think I might have mentioned this to Claire. Um, one thing that was unsettling with this, with this upcoming Doctor Strange. Okay, my knee-jerk go-to person for the Ancient One could have been uh, George Takei. I would have loved that because it would have been a, it would have been geek lineage, right? But it could have easily gone to someone like Nancy Kwan, who is a, obviously a woman, but she's she's a legendary actress. 
of Asian descent that would have flipped the gender, if they needed to flip the gender, and we could have seen lineage. We could, we could have had a discussion. When you start to, you know, maybe they might have made, maybe they might have made some uh, anime Wong reference, who was an a, a, um, a Asian actress of the gold, golden era. Um, you know, she's in Douglas Fairbanks, The Thief of, Thief of Baghdad. I mean, I, I, you know, these are things that come to my mind. If you do little things like that, you actually inform the audience and it's transcendent. You do, you, you're, you're, they're missing out by not exploring people of color and their histories. But it, it, it goes beyond just being a, a goofy comic book movie. It really does. That's, me, that's enough of me pontificating. Uh, uh, Bison, you had something else you wanted to say, or Daryl? Uh, no, I, that again, I, uh, and the main theme, main theme behind what 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 I was getting at, and it's it's good. You can't go back now. You can't go back. You can't go back into the tropes. That's why, uh, you know what? I respect Tarantino. All right, uh, I'm sorry you didn't get a chance to do it, but if you look at this Luke Cage, why the hell would we want the '70s version? Help yes, me out yeah. here. Because it's comfortable, Daryl. You know that. It's easy. It's lazy. It's easy, lazy, and comfortable. And we can all go back if we don't push for more representation. Things go in cycles. We got to demand it with our money and with our focus and our time. Things can easily slide back. In the Mm -hmm. 80s and the 90s and 70s, we had all these black TV shows, and then there was nothing. So I, 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 I wouldn't say that. Yeah, that's and again, that's why again, uh, Iron Fist. I'm paying attention. You know, uh, a whole there's a whole culture of African American men out there from 30 to 55, all right, who went to five dollar cinemas to catch the 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 triple features of yep. of kung fu flicks. You know, we, we there's a whole bunch of us out there. So we we know when when the Iron Fist comes out and they're doing lazy tropes, we'll be able to go. Really, really, that's what you're giving us. That's what you get. That's the trap. Well, I will well, say this. I I just got into into the Badlands. Um, I, I you know there's so much stuff out there. I just can't get everything. But I actually finally got a chance to check out. Uh, I think most. I think it's eight episodes. I think it's eight, and I saw mm-hmm. six. And I actually like it, and it's, it's a completely martial arts-themed feudal society, uh, a dystopic society. It's a lot of, I mean, you know, it's, it's a little bit of, um, of, a, of a trope thing. Some things we've seen before, but uh, you have a, a, an Asian male lead. Um, and, I, you know, listen, I, I like to see people get their share. Like, I want to see, see all of this. I don't want to see kind of, they, they, we're starting to get some of what we need to, need to get. Um, they, need to, they need to do better, though. They need to do better. You know, but mm-hmm. um, we've kind of been a renaissance, though. I will confess. We're in, we are in a TV renaissance. TV has never been quite this good. And this is why this gives me hope. Gives me hope. And I go like with Iron Fist. I, I, got, I, I better get fully realized villains as well as heroes as well as supporting characters. I mean, I just got it with Luke Cage. You know, I I I want it for Iron Fist. I want it for Defenders. I want it for Punisher. You know, let's continue this. Let's keep on going and, and great. And, and you know something else too. Again, this you know when when you have these characters. I mean, I know you and you and I have kind of discussed this thing with Riri Williams, and I appreciate Bendis and all that. I really do. 
But you do have to have, obviously, uh, when you start to explore these minority characters, you're going to have to have people behind the scenes to actually work the puppetry. Uh, when you think about many of these characters that were developed many decades before, they were white creations. I mean, we, we forget that Black Panther was a white creation. J- Jack Kirby created Black Panther. Thankfully, the man had enough respect to give him gravitas. But you need black polish to kind of bring things in focus. If you're going to have a, a, a master of kung fu, you don't want to have some kind of hokey trope. That the, you know, hokey tropes. You got to, you're going to have to have Asian folk in the mix culturally to kind of put some polish on it. But these things, are, they start off as white creations. But if you have a white person speaking uh, in the body of a black, Asian, or Latino person, it's going to be a problem. There's going to be things missing, and it's frustrating. I mean, you saw that clearly with that green, that was that green light thing with, uh, I keep going back to it because it was so embarrassing, with, um, Claire, help me out. What's his face? Matt Damon? Matt Damon. Yeah, Matt Damon. He was sloppy with it. And he was a liberal. You know, that's the part that I've been saying this for years. The liberal is just as problematic as a conservative. White liberal, white conservative. Well, I think um, Debert and um, Daryl and everyone, I've seen within the last couple years kind of a new sophistication when it comes to um, geek fandom, representation at conventions, and... You know, people are showing their distaste by either withholding their dollars or um, focusing, you know, what they want behind the scenes. But I think it has to be sustained. Then the next thing is we're going to have to start um, supporting all artists of color. Now, we can't support everything. We can't support every Patreon. We can't support every Kickstarter. But people are going to have to pick and choose because um, Hollywood is running out of ideas, and this is a fresh um, – Area where they can cultivate ideas But um, I want to see more People represented writing Like you said Bendis I mean Bendis is tone deaf on some things When it comes to race Tone deaf And the comics are sort of the foundation For a lot of these characters And I still think that's a closed Society for writers of color We got to get more writers of color Like David Excuse me David Walker and others to get in that room, tell stories, and have successful runs of comic books. I mean, I want David Walker to write the, um, the Cyborg movie. Yeah. I'm honest with that. Yeah. And, and until you start right. seeing that, you're going to get what you get. Well, you know, listen, I, I spoke to Dave about this behind the scenes before. Um, we got to get him back on the show, incidentally. But, you know, he, he brought back Shaft uh, into prominence as a comic book. And now you're hearing that I think New Line Cinema is trying to bring back Shaft. And they want to bring it back in some kind of comedy. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, what? No, no one, aside, is aside it that from Black Dynamite? Da- well, well, hold on. Aside from uh, David Niven, because I, I, got, I got to be correct, David Niven in Casino, Ro- Casino Royale in the late 60s. That's probably the only time we saw a comedic James Bond. But you're not going to see... James Bond or some of these uh, straight-by-the-book heroes as pure comedies. But when you don't control your own image, they're going to make Sh- – Shaft was badassery, okay? He was not this guy. He was kicking ass, 
with with the ladies, all of that hyper masculinity that people allegedly find offensive. Uh, now we're going to see it just easily scoffed at. We're going to make it just some kind of comedy. This is not. What was the one that that, that Eddie Griffin played? Uh, that, undercover brother. Yeah, he's gonna make he's gonna make Shaft and the undercover bro- brother now. All that history, Gordon Parks, all that stuff. Come on, man. Another Holomite, by the way. Come on. <sighs> that's why you got to have the right kind of people behind the scenes. Let me, now, we've got about five minutes remaining, folks. I'm, I do want to, and to the listening audience, uh, the Grindhouse, obviously, uh, we've been getting into really a lot of discourse. Um, one quick thing. The Griot had this piece on, um, I guess what we're talking about now, that Hollywood has kind of discovered these, as they, as they titled it, awkward black people. Now, you know what that's code for. Uh, insecure is coming. The, the pilot is available, though. I did see the pilot. And Atlanta was just um, renewed for a second season pretty early on. But they depict uh, these blurs for, you know, they're, they're essentially blurs, or what they would classify them as, they're saying they're awkward black people. And I find that kind of offensive. That uh, because the, just because you haven't decided to, because you decided to actually go beyond the trope a little bit, you go beyond the trope for, for a second, and now they're strange to you or they're awkward. You know, uh, Afropunk is awkward. It's strange to you. But if, but if it's Shaquan holding his, holding his, his junk and, and wearing a do-rag, that's not so strange. But if it's someone coming from a different perspective, because there are many different perspectives according to ethnicity, when you start to deconstruct that or debunk that, all of a sudden you're awkward. Um, that I was uncomfortable with. What, 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 what are your thoughts about that, um, Daryl? Are you comfortable with when they say awkward? I look at it this way. I, I, I see awkward. I know what's a code word for. Folks, code word means they can't use the derogatory term because, oh, we're bigger than that. But we'll find another word to represent something that we could slide in its place. Awkward is that for blurs right now. <laughs> awkward. Hey, hey, they're, they're not hood on the street. Yeah, they, they like some of the, st- the sci-fi stuff I like. Or they 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 come off like Seinfeld, so they're awkward, you know. That awkward black people. So, look, look. I, I, you could keep on using the word. Go right ahead. Awkward. Da da da. That's your thing. But then, the problem is, you start using it to represent all of us, and that's where it becomes like derogatory to me. You know, I, I'm not awkward. I may be insecure, but I'm not awkward. I know what I am, all right? Awkwardness means you you are uh, tedious around other people or timid around other people, and you're not quite sure what you are exactly. I think every blurred knows what they are. Back to you, Afrinard. Um, One other thing, too, I, I want to make note of, and you might be, know about this more intimately, Darrell. we got about two minutes remaining. Um, you know, I really, I really dug the uh, Shazam... Gary Frank and Jeff Johns, 50, DC 52. You know, it was it was the back it was in the back of uh, the, J, the JLA or Justice League books when they when they rebooted that series, and you saw uh, this new iteration of the Shazam character, 
and you had a, essentially a multiracial Marvel family, I think everyone kind of thought that that was going to be a, become a regular thing, and then it was discarded. What was the deal with that? Uh, again, they, they introduced it, and then it got dropped by the wayside. <laughs> that, that, as simple as that. It got introduced. Map, this is going to be our new Oh, We changed direction again. Because I'm seeing people, people online that were saying that that was like, the, the, like the, a refreshing restart where people actually had an interest in the character again. And then <laughs> the people were waiting for Volume 2. I think there's, it's a, it, there's an omnibus or something. People were waiting for Volume 2, and it never came. And, and then, you know, now we, we don't really know anything about – I mean, they, they've, they've never been able to, 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 continue, to have that character continuously be interesting. Well, that's – again, that's the problem. When you get stuff tied to a direction, all right, you see it happening with DC here. You see it happening with Marvel with the, the Civil War too, where it, it, it knocked all the cards off the table – and, oh, it's restarting everything again. But there's still fans that are looking for resolution from stories they were following before. And now you just kicked all the cards off the table, so they have to begin anew. If you wonder why Comic Dumb loses fans, that's how you lose fans. Because you, th- you threw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah. Yeah, they, 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 they don't know how to maintain these things. Uh, I think we're going to close shop, believe it or not, folks. Uh, as always, we appreciate your, appreciate your support. I don't think next week we're going to have a show because we're going to be at uh, New York Comic Con, and that's going to be interesting within itself. Um, wow. Uh, and speaking about blurreds, a blurred renaissance, that is like the tagline for this blurred, blurred Afropunk meetup. So I'm curious as to what that's going to be like. So we will, we will be in attendance, and we'll, we'll check that out. Uh, Daryl, Captain, Claire, as always, uh, Bison, Q-Storm, continue supporting us. This is Lion Babe Wonder Woman. We'll be right back, uh, well, Wednesday. <laughs> and then the following week, we'll talk about it. It's been real. Ho, 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 ho. What can I get you? Hey, Santa. A pony and an iPhone for my mom. She really wants one. That's a lot. Look, at Metro, they'll give you an iPhone 6S just for switching. Charlie Jingle Bells. I should switch to Metro. It's smart. You should. Get this unbelievable deal under your tree. Switch and get an iPhone 6S on us. Hurry, because deals this good don't last long. Metro by T-Mobile. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Not valid for current T-Mobile network numbers or numbers active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. I don't mean to be so uptight, but my heart's been hurt a couple times by a couple guys that didn't treat me right. I ain't gonna lie, I ain't gonna lie. Alexa, play meant to be. Okay. If it's meant to be, it'll be, it'll be. Baby, just let it be. If it's meant to be, with Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today.
my brain. 